The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. to Are You Afraid 1984, the unofficial American Horror Story 1984 podcast, a Radio.com original series, Papichula Radio pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, October 31st, 2019, Halloween, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of the FX series, American Horror Story 1984. Please welcome my spooky co-host, Vinny Hatcher. Hello. It's very appropriate for Halloween. Right. Yes. Either that or for a sex, uh, like, like a phone sex operator. <laughs> Thank you for calling 1-900-BOO. There you go. Uh, there, there are many happy haunts in Indeed. this establishment. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into our recap of Season 9, Episode 6 which was titled The Lady in White and aired October 30th, 2019. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. A hidden chapter of Camp Redwood is revealed. The survivors help a stranded hitchhiker. So I want to get your initial reaction to this episode, The Lady in White. What did you think of it, Vinny? I loved it. I honestly adored it. We had like two different types of movies going on in this episode, but uh, yeah, it was really well paced. We got a lot of surprises that I did not expect, and it's really building up to this awesome crescendo that we're going to see over the next two episodes, so I'm really excited to talk about it. Very nice. I enjoyed it as well, and I agree with you. It was like watching two different movies at the same time, but somehow it worked. Like, it was very, like, uh, what, what was her name? Pamela Voorhees? Yes. Right? It was ve- very Pamela Voorhees on one side of the coin, and then on the other side, it was like uh, that, that Grindhouse movie, Death Proof. which Mixed I was with really, Thelma and Louise. Yes, <laughs> which I was really here for. Like, I enjoyed all of it. I was entertained. It is, as I like to say, a very rewatchable episode. It was, yeah, it was a lot. And we got a lot of really interesting and unique information. And we also got the surprise return of an AHS alum, which uh, is always fantastic. Whenever we get an AHS alum on um, the show, especially when it's a surprise, it's always wonderful. And this time it happened before the even credits, the credits even started. So it's like we weren't even ruined by the little name at the bottom of the screen. It's pretty spectacular. So uh, before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of American Horror Story 1984, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. 
Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Are You Afraid? 1984 and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. So let's start off. We're not going to start off in 1984. We start off, and I just now noticed it. It's 1948, right? Yes. That it's is... a palindrome, isn't it, I guess, yes. almost? Sort of, but not really. Wouldn't a palindrome be, like, backwards? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's so palindrome it's like... adjacent. Yes, thank you. <laughs> there you go. I just noticed that. I was like, 1948, 1984. That's, that's probably why they picked it, which is sort of uh, fantastic uh, by itself. So we start off in 1948, and we're introduced to Lavinia, who's pocketing some change. <laughs> She's the lunch lady. And we're introduced to her boys, Bobby, and one whose name we do not learn until towards the end of this flashback, but I will say it now. It is Benji. It's Benjamin. It's it's Mr. Jingles in his, what would he be like, maybe a tween-ish? Probably like just entering puberty. I think he was like 12 or 13. There you go. And uh, he's there. And we clearly learn in this flashback that uh, Mama Jingles, a.k.a. Lavinia, a very 1940s or 19, how would she be? Uh, maybe 1920s, if you were born in the 1920s-ish, you know, name. Uh, we clearly learn that Lavinia has a favorite. And it is her younger son, Bobby, instead of the older, Benji. And uh, we learn through exposition that the kids do not like Benji. He has sort of uh, secluded himself into the world of comic books so that, um, you know, he, he, that, that, those, that has become his friend as opposed to the fellow kids at the camp. We learn later on, but I, I guess I should reference it now, that, um, that his father passed away or their father passed away. And uh, Lavinia took the gig at the summer camp to... Uh, make money but also you know sort of like free childcare as well while she made money at the camp even though she uh, hated the entire experience from the start so she encourages the kids to make friends in particular Benji and Bobby at that time wants to go and have a swim so they go, uh, Benji has a, a bit of a, I guess we would call it a bullying experience where, you know, he tries to be nice to the, the young girls and they immediately, uh, you know, um, they, they uh, well, they're dicks, basically. And so uh, when Benji notices, and I don't even know how he noticed it, and I, I guess maybe I'm not that uh, good at reading body language, but when he, he sort of uh, surmised that the lifeguard and uh, a fellow young uh, counselor were going to get a little frisky together in the woods, he tells uh, Bobby just to sit there, don't move, don't swim, you know, we're not going to get in the water, just sit there. So he goes and he gets his little peeping Tom on, and while all that happens, 
Bobby ends up jumping into the water. When um, when Benji hears something, he goes to check on Bobby, sees that he's in the water, but unfortunately, the 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 person that's on a little uh, boat doesn't see Bobby and ends up running right over him, which kills him. And uh, Lavinia, when she finds out, she has a complete meltdown, as any parent would. And she blames everyone. Where was the lifeguard? Where were you? Uh, she blames every single person at that camp for Bobby's death, including Benji. So this is where we will stop, because we learn so much more. <laughs> throughout the episode. So, uh, Vinny, what did you think of the opening of the episode? This was a an extended flashback. Uh, I feel like it was vital information. And uh, we got the return of Lily Rabe as Lavinia. What did you think of it? Okay, first of all, anytime Lily Rabe comes back and does crazy on the show, I'm always happy. She plays it so well. I mean, going back all the way to when she was the satanic possessed nun in Asylum... Just, you know, when I found out that she was going to be in this episode, I was number one floored because, you know, we were talking about this before we started the podcast. It's They've done a really good job of holding some really big secrets as far as people returning and like what they were doing because we didn't find out. You know, usually you find this out a few months in advance because of people catching, you know, camera shots or whatever. So I was really excited. And there was an element of like Friday the 13th mixed with a little bit of this other movie that I love from like the eighties and nineties called the lady in white. Actually um, it, it was really fascinating just to kind of see her play this like disgruntled mother that like, obviously there was some deep seated issues inside of her. It wasn't, you know, just, Oh, the death of her child set her off. This lady was very, very much so not happy to begin with. And so seeing the backstory to jingles, which was not something I expected we would see was a nice surprise. I didn't, it was the story that I did not know that I needed. And it really set up part of the rest of the threads in this episode for the story about jingles and where he ended up. So I, I didn't think that I would want to see it, but I'm glad that I did. I really enjoyed her character of a psychotic lunch lady slash, running around in a nightgown. Uh, it was very well done, as always, by her. The kids were really great. I loved the... It, there was almost like a stand-by-me aspect to it of, like, the brother, you know, just, like... I don't know. It just gave me a very stand-by-me vibe because in that movie, it's, like, some misfits. They're going to see a dead body, but they're all a bunch of misfits, and I, I very much so saw Young Jingles as one of them. Um, and what ended up happening with the boat and all of that, these, they, there's elements that connect this to so many other 80s movies that I can't name off the top of my head. It was a very nice amalgamation, and it was an excellent intro to the episode. Oh, absolutely. I love me some Lily Rabe as well. I was not spoiled by um, with knowledge that she would be in the episode, so I was completely shocked when I saw her, and really excited, just because she always plays really interesting characters, whether they are, uh, you know, saccharinely sweet or batshit crazy. Like, her characters are always incredibly fascinating. Sometimes she will play both within the same season. Hello, Asylum. But, uh, yeah, she she's just really captivating to watch and um, I, I just was super excited to see her on my screen again and uh, I wasn't sure what they were going to do with her and once we started to get hints of where the story was going I was like oh my 
this is pretty spectacular because I, I, could, I could see that she would become an incredibly unhinged character. And uh, it was all kinds of fascinating to watch. Uh, it was very 80s. And um, like the Pamela Voorhees uh, of it all, you know, was just coming through my screen. And I was like, if anyone on American Horror Story could pull off a Pamela Voorhees type of character... It's going to be Lily Rabe. And, and so I was uh, strapped in, basically, and ready for the ride. And uh, I wasn't disappointed. So, yeah, everything about it was fantastic. I, I just really, really enjoyed it. I, I loved uh, um, I loved the dynamic of the brothers, even though it was so short. But you could really tell the relationship and, um, and the way Lily Rabe played it. Uh, I mean, you could really tell who the favorite was and who, uh, you know, who the disappointment, at least in her eyes, was, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, everything was done really well with this flashback. So, let's move into the present day, and uh, in the present, as we continue along with this storyline, we see we see Jingle's uh, return to uh, Camp Redwood, and um, he ends up finding that. The guy that he ends up ended up sparing uh, way back in 1984 uh, still dresses Jingles, and uh, he explains that he's dead. And then the other Jingles from that night that were pranking the camp, they show up and they're out for revenge because he killed them. But uh, the one that Jingles had spared told them that no, Montana said that they cannot kill until the festival. So they take Jingles to Montana and the rest of uh, the ghosts, our familiar friends. Uh, and, um, you know, they're all pissed at Jingles for killing them. You know, we want to get our revenge now and this, that, or the other. And uh, they want to know why he returned to the camp. And so he says that he came to kill uh, Richard Ramirez and explains sort of his situation a little bit. And uh, he wonders why they are ghosts. And, uh, and so they explain what they've gone through. That time passes differently for them. In the beginning, they sort of walked around aimlessly, not really knowing what to do, and sort of still stuck, you know, between sort of life and death, like really questioning what had happened. They were sort of like in a loop, and um, and since time passed differently, what felt like you know moments for them was like years. And they also explained that they can feel pain along with pleasure, and they're pissed that they're bound to uh, Camp Redwood. And uh, and he's like, but what? You don't have to deal with the real world. But they ex- they explained that they are dealing with something real. The fact that there is a woman dressed in white in a white nightgown that terrorizes them that chases them and attacks them for what appears to be no reason and uh richter aka jingles aka benji aka benjamin realizes that the woman that they're describing is his mother and so he explains what happened after Bobby's death. So we flash back once again to 1948. And, um, and Lavinia, one night, basically broke. You know, she went uh, batshit crazy and slaughtered the staff. 
and uh, Benji ends up finding, you know, what she did, ends up finding her, and uh, Lavinia ends up, you know, saying that she needed to do what she did, and uh, that, you know, it needed to be done for Bobby, and um, she even asks him for, like, a hug, but he doesn't, and she's like, man, like, you just don't know, you know, how to follow an order, because clearly she was ready to kill him. So Benji ends up running out. She chases him with a knife, ends up stabbing him. Um, they get into a little bit of a scuffle. The knife gets lost. And uh, when Lavinia finally grabs Benji, he ends up stabbing her in the stomach and uh, kills her out of self-defense. And uh, as her blood sort of ends up um, soaking the ground of... Uh, then uh, Camp Golden Star. Uh, apparently, uh, this was very much like the grudge. Like, apparently because of her blood and this, that, or the other, it, it, it led to a uh, blood curse on the land. And, um, yeah, so it led to like a, like a blood curse on the land and and that's why everyone is bound to that ground um it as i referenced is very much like the grudge uh, where uh, because she died in extreme pain and anger that that's apparently how the ground was uh cursed so it was very kayako of her so uh let's stop here before we get into the next confrontation because i feel like that's going to be its own conversation so we got a huge info dump right now we got uh, the basis for why we have the ghosts we learned a little bit more about the ghosts headspace as well as jingles headspace um throughout this sequence what'd you think of it Vinny? I thought it was really interesting because when he first got there to the camp and he, you know, got brought in front of them, I thought they were going to kill him, you know, because the last time that we saw all of these counselors, they were, you know, the, the good ones had become killers and they, they were just having this like carefree, like, oh, we're so good and happy. We're undead and blah, 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 blah. So we got to see what I would have, I wanted to see last time. Like I wanted to see like what happened after they woke up and they realized they were dead. Like all those years that they were there with no one there, it was really nice to get that backstory. And I found it really fascinating to see that they didn't kill him. I fully expected them to be, you know, foolish. We're going to string you up and kill you. And cause they were planning to kill the entire festival, but he roped them in with the story of his mother. And I really thought it was awesome. The whole story about how the curse was started, I love The Grudge. It's one of my absolute favorite horror movies. I'm excited for the remake they're doing. And it's just so sensible. Like, it made sense to me why this was all happening. You know, what seemed to be just a minor thing in the first couple of episodes became a huge thing when they all came back as ghosts. And finding out that it was born from this accidental tragedy that caused a woman to break and to basically seek to destroy everyone around her. 
It was interesting, and I, I thought it really suited the theme of the series very, very well. It's also an interesting trope to choose because I didn't see it coming. You know, I thought it was going to be like, oh, it's an Indian burial ground, or it's going to link back to Satan. And I found it fascinating that they didn't do that. They chose to have it all sourced back to the power of a mother's grief and also insanity and unhingedness. Um, and so and so when he actually, like, went to go see his mother after that and how they, like, were hoping that he would help them figure it out, I really – this episode was very surprising in the avenues that it went because I couldn't predict it. I, I did not know what was coming next. This season has actually done a really good job of – making me think I knew where it was going and then completely doing a 360 and going down an exit I didn't even know was there with the story and the characters. And just seeing the desperation on these guys, like obviously the years of killing and all that, was they were done. They were in purgatory. They saw that it wasn't fun anymore. And their desperate plea was going to be to kill everyone at this festival to see if that would get people in there that would figure out how to get them out. It was a polar opposite of what we saw last time where Montana was super happy to kill people when they came by and you know Cody Fern's character Xavier was doing the same thing and Ray was being the voice of reason. Ray was obviously losing his mind a little bit at this point. So yeah, I thought it was really interesting to have this like purgatory thing, especially when we still got the whole Satan thing coming into play, which we'll talk about soon. And I just I really liked Jingle. Like this episode I actually really liked him. He he had more life and more personality, and you could see that he wasn't just – I mean, there were the pathetic scenes where his mother made him feel pathetic, but still there was an element of strength in the character, and he was fully there, whereas before he was kind of only half there because of all the years he was in prison and not really understanding what had happened to him. This was like the first time I felt like Jingles was 100% in and there and aware of fully what was going on in his own cognition. Yeah, I agree with you about the twists and turns. This season has uh, gone in a different direction than I would have anticipated with like certain elements of um, of the plots as well as the character developments and, and that kind of thing. Uh, what was interesting about this episode, uh, the, that twist with um, like why they wanted to kill the people, I thought was interesting as well. Like, it gave the characters a little bit more of a nuance than what we saw previously with the ghosts. Uh, something that surprised me, bef because this happened before they um, discussed why they wanted uh, the attention on, like, all the murders and death of, of the camp and that sort of thing. When Ray was ready to kill um, Jingles, that surprised me, because Ray was very zen and sort of kumbaya, and, yeah. like, we can't kill and that sort of thing. Like, why are you killing in the previous episode? So that surprised me. But then once Montana explained it, I was like, okay, so whatever bloodlust she had, maybe it looks like it it has, like, disappeared. I would hope. Or run its course. Exactly. I would hope, just because uh, we sort of discussed it. Like, it wasn't a good look for the characters, um, especially because we, we have grown to enjoy them. And uh, clearly Montana, when she was alive, like, she had a little bit of a bloodlust anyway. But in death, like, I didn't necessarily want to see all these characters that we have grown to enjoy, like, just become killers and that sort of thing. So I'm glad that uh, there is a reason as to why they, um, they, they want to kill everyone at the festival outside of the fact that, you know, it, it isn't just murder and maybe a little bit revenge on um, Margaret 
but it has to deal with the fact that uh, they want these paranormal investigators to come to the camp so that they can figure out how they can get uncursed. Uh, it's what's interesting about how they described the start of the curse is like I wonder if they'll be able to figure out a way to um, clear up the curse themselves. You know, we've seen cursed properties yeah. before on American Horror Story, and uh, things don't typically end well on those cursed properties. Like after the season ends, the cursed properties are still cursed. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, so, like it doesn't end. It's it's just usually like it's like a cycle. Might, yeah, exactly. There's always a cycle, or there's a repetition, or there's something where it's like a red herring, and you think it's going to be over, but no, you find out it's just going to go on indefinitely. Exactly. So I don't know if I have high hopes that they're going to figure it out, but I do like that they're taking the initiative to try to figure it out. I'm trying to think if there are any other ghosts in the past that have tried to do that. Um, I feel like Murder House, they wanted to get out of there, but I can't, I don't think they necessarily, other than with Billy D, um, Billy Dean Williams or whatever her name was, uh, Billy Dean, was that it? Tara Paulson's psychic Billy character. Dean. Not Billy D. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> that would pay to see that. But, I know, uh, right? Yeah, I, I know they wanted to get out, but I think most of it was they didn't realize they were dead, and we didn't get to actually see much of the after effects. Like, Well, we got a little bit of that in um, Apocalypse, but still, yes. we didn't really get a sense that they wanted to leave outside of Moira. Oh, yeah, that's very true. So, yeah, we didn't – I think this is the first time that they've actually, like, actively, like, tried to put something together to figure a way to get out of where they're trapped and anchored to. Totally, yes. So this is something different, which is very interesting, and uh, I kind of like it. Like, I like that these ghosts sort of have uh, a sense of uh, of despair, and uh, and they want to leave the property. And not only do they want to leave, and not only are they talking about wanting to leave, they're actually actively trying to figure out a way to leave. So I think that's really interesting and, and different. It's a different take on the the typical ghost story that we are given on American Horror Story. So I, I liked it. And um, yeah. yeah, everything was fantastic. I mean, Lily Rabe, you know, once she went batshit crazy, like I was here for it. And uh, and there was no way in hell that I was going to give her a hug either with that big ass knife and the right. bloody hands. I'm like, come on. And she was just so good. Like, ugh, always the disappointment you never do what you're told like it was just uh it was it was so so good oh she's so evil but she's phenomenal way. yeah okay so uh, so jingles is basically like take me to her you know i will speak with her and that sort of thing um I think Montana is the one that's like, Xavier, go and take him. And, and he's like, why do I have to do it? Send Chet. You know, once again, send Chet. And uh, Chet's like, uh-uh. Like, I'm not going to mess with that lady again. And so Xavier leads him to uh, this sort of um, shack in the middle of the woods. And he's like, I'm not going any further. Like, you know, I outran her once. You know, I'm not really trying to see what's going to happen when she actually catches me. And so Jingles goes in and sees some, like, toys from his childhood. And she appears. And they talk. And, uh, 
Yeah, it's, uh, basically the bullet points of the conversation is that Jingles, like, tells her, like, about his life and, um, you know, about his, his kid and and how he's wants to protect his kid and that's why he's back because of Richard Ramirez and that sort of thing. And she ends up sort of playing with his emotions, basically saying, like, you know, I want to see you suffer. You know, like, that kid is going to be better off without you. Like, and she just does the whole, she goes in on Jingles. And she also explains that she saw him. Like, she was roaming the woods. You know, she kept on getting reborn, even though she tried to kill herself. She's tied to this land, and she's been in pain, and she's been looking for Bobby, and she can't find Bobby. She can hear him sometimes. And one day, she felt you know, the presence of her child. And so she she went to find the source of, of it all, and it was him. It was Benji giving the goo-goo eyes to Margaret. And she basically was like, oh, hell no. Like, you, the bane of my existence. You know, it should have been you that died, not Bobby. She was like, I was not going to allow you to be happy. You know, after everything that you did you're not going to be happy. So uh, she was like, I already knew she was unhinged. So I just gave her a push and she whispered something into her ear when she was asleep. And apparently that led to um, the massacre that night. Uh, And, um, and she's basically like, you know, I, I sent her and I did it so I could take away the thing that you love and you could suffer and all this type of stuff and ha 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 and that sort of thing. So, uh, she also references the fact that she she's seen people come back, um, you know, as ghosts, but she saw something very strange in the woods one night in reference to uh, Richard Ramirez. Uh, so, let's talk about the discussion between mother and child. What did you think of uh, this back and forth? It was harsh. <laughs> like... I mean, I will be honest, I never really thought that he did anything wrong, you know, for the mother to hate him so much. Just, I mean, obviously he's a kid that was made fun of, and he saw this girl and this guy run at that age, and his brother seemed like he was a well-behaved kid, so he was reasonable to think his brother would listen. And, you know, he tried to save his brother by calling out to the motor people to stop, so I just felt so bad for him, like, watching his mother sit there and say, I've watched over you, and I've taken everything away from you. This is your fault. This goes back to the fact that it, it wasn't really him. It was her. This woman was broken and psychologically damaged in the beginning and she just fixated all of her hopes on her youngest child and I have a feeling like had that child survived and grown up he probably would have become a serial killer just because of the pressure that his mother put on him to be wonderful and wholesome and you know it it was weird It, it was definitely she was the problem and it was I was kind of disappointed in Jingles during that section like I kind of expected him after everything that he's been through to stand up to her but it's his mother and he did not know her spirit was haunting. And, you know, everything came flooding back. And John Lynch did a great job at, like, showing the conflict that was going on. And, and I kind of I, – I like the fact that she said that Margaret was already wrong in the head. It just took a slight push. You know, so it just goes to show that even though she caused it, Margaret probably would have eventually snapped anyway. Um, so I really like that, they, you know, that's how they tailored it in. Because that's the one thing my boyfriend asked is, like, wait, how did – she just showed up now. Why? 
And when she explains, it's because I've just been sitting back and I wanted to wait to show myself until I knew that you've lost everything. It was so horrible for a mother to do that. So it just kind of, it, it stabbed at home even further that this woman was really messed up. And just seeing the way that it was going, I almost expected her to attack him, honestly, when all the other ghosts were scared of her. I expected her to not be sane in the sense of like not be able to have like a conversation. I thought she was just going to be this raving, you know, like scathic looking lunatic. But she was obviously calm and collected, except when he mentioned his brother's name. So it was really the dynamic was very curious to see. It was unexpected, as was the second interaction between them later in the episode. Uh, I like it. I, I like her as the cause of the curse. I totally bought it. This woman was crazy. Obviously loved her kid very much and should have loved her other kid more. And it it just really fed into this exit we took off of what we where we thought this was going and i'm really curious to see where it continues to go in the uh, next two episodes oh totally like oh gosh like she was fantastic like lily rabe as an actor was just fantastic in this sequence like the way she tore into uh jingles like it was oh my gosh like she stripped him down and uh, shellacked him in the most spectacular kind of way i felt bad for jingles like big time like i find jingles incredibly sympathetic and i empathize Uh with him in a big way which i once again like you referenced like not really knowing where the series is going and being surprised at every turn like i'm surprised after that very first episode that um that i'm sympathizing with jingles and that's you know i like i want like the good things in the world for jingles like right? i i support you jingles like i'm here for you like if you need me to babysit like i'll babysit little bobby like you know what i'm saying like i want to be here for jingles like i have fallen in love with this character and i hated yet loved just because it was an acting tour the to the like a uh, tour de force performance but man like i just felt for him when lily rabe um um lavinia what a name uh just ripped into him left and right and basically telling him like i am the reason for your undoing like i set everything up i was plotting I was scheming, like, I made the proper, you know, I I set up the dominoes in a way that it would just tumble all over your life, and I was just like, damn, that's a cold-hearted bitch. I did just have one important question, though. Yeah. If she was so poor, how the hell did she afford that super nice movie star nightgown? Uh, well... You know, <laughs> maybe it was like when the husband was still around, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but there were elements of, and this is why I love her, there were elements of Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, Olivia de Havilland, like if you've ever seen Whatever Happened to Baby Jane or Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, mm-hmm. yeah. any of those movies, like she channeled that just that pastiche of like the neurotic woman losing her mind and that they, cause that was a thing back in the 50s, 60s, they had those movies where the well put together woman that everyone thought was, you know, just another run of the mill lunch lady in this case was actually pretty flipping crazy and hated her kid and loved the other kid. It was, it, it, there was a lot going on and she nailed it home in a, in a minute performance. I mean, only a few minutes in the episode, she shadowed over the entire episode. Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's what we expect from an alum. 
Like we, like they should be the focus of whatever scene they're in, especially if they're making their grand return. And man, like she, like she dove into that pool and created the biggest cannonball splash ever, and it was spectacular. It was fascinating to watch, and uh, yeah, it was just. It was spectacular. I mean, there's nothing else to say about that uh, sequence. Just uh, she was magic, and they worked so well together. Which I was trying to remember, have they ever worked together before on American Horror Story? I can't remember what else because I know he played the slashed mouth clown. Correct. Right? No, and she wasn't in that until the end when she brought in Pepper. And yeah. where else? He has been. Hasn't he been in another season outside of that? I think maybe it was like just little moments. Uh, for John Carroll Lynch, like I don't think he had a as big of a role outside of Twisty, right? I, can't I don't think now. so. I don't really recall. And if he was, it was a minor side role because he doesn't come to the forefront in my, my memory. Same here. Um, yeah. So I don't think that they've ever worked together. But uh, it, it was magic seeing both of them together. Like they just worked off of each other really, really well um yeah no you're right uh he was twisty because he played twisty twice because twisty was also in cult yeah and cameo um, for the comic yeah correct and he was in hotel um as john wayne gacy and that would have been uh, i'm trying to remember lily rabe was not in hotel right i don't believe so i think she was off that season or if she was, it was very small. Let me see. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I don't think she was in Hotel. Yeah. Because Gaga, Gaga was that season, and she kind of was the forefront character. Although not really. And, I feel like we all really, yeah. like to think that Gaga was the forefront <laughs> character, but she really wasn't, to be quite no, honest. No, she really wasn't. It was the uh, detective guy, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think she... Oh, no, you know what? She did show up in a hotel, didn't she, when they went to the murder house? Did they? Because that, that was back... Because she played Ella Montgomery or Nora Montgomery, whatever it was, um, originally. Norma Montgomery, yes. But wait, they yeah. went to a murder house in a hotel? I can't remember a hotel now. Yeah, because Gaga's character went there to have an abortion. Oh, that is true. Yes. Okay, so... Yeah. They would not have uh, run into each other. The actors would not have uh, yeah. run into each other. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, they played off of each other really, really well. Yeah. So uh, moving right along. So let's wrap up this side of uh, the storyline. So uh, so after learning, you know, what happened, that, uh, you know, Margaret was manipulated into, or well, maybe not manipulated, manipulated but uh, pushed that's probably the right term into doing uh, the uh, the massacre that uh, jingles was uh, was blamed on um jingles is left alone in the cabin she ends up vanishing and uh we uh we see that um jingles you know ends up on the dock where everything happened and Lavinia basically um, screams at him, like, how dare you return to where he died? Like, how dare you, you know, bring your stench to, like, you know, you know, this, you know, this solemn place where uh, everything happened. And um, 
And she's like, you know, you don't deserve to grieve over him. And he's like, you know, I grieve over him every day. Like, don't you think I don't wish that it had been me? And this is out of the other. You know, I even named my child after him. And, um, you know, I, I don't want him to live in a world where he has to be in fear. And with Richard Ramirez out there, you know, I feel like, you know, he's he can get to my child. And so I need to put an end to this. And Lavinia is like, well, you're getting mixed up with something that I don't even know about. Like, this is some, like, dark supernatural force out here and um and who's to say that you can even take him on and he's like i need to do something and so she plants the seed into his head where she's like you know if he comes and collects for satan like if he kills you you might not ever come back but if you kill yourself, you'll come back forever and ever and da, da, da. ever. And so she ends up disappearing. And uh, Jingles ends up uh, apologizing to Bobby. And uh, the knife that he had that he was sharpening, he ends up using it on himself. And um, his ghost appears after he dies. And he ends up taking the knife, and he leaves uh, the body on the dock. So, okay, first up, I was surprised that he didn't toss his body into the ocean. Or, not, well, that wouldn't be the ocean, but into the lake. Because I'm like, if you find the body of Jingles, like, isn't that, like, you know, isn't that bad? You know, for the, what's supposed to be happening at that camp? Anyway, <laughs> uh, so there was that. So I was surprised he didn't, like, just toss himself into the to the water. Um, here's my thing. I don't trust Lavinia, and I feel like this was, like, the final piece of her puzzle, I think. I agree, because to be, when I touched on the fact that the dynamic between them was different this time around, this just did not sit well with me, because there was very much an element of, like, her seeming to soften towards him, which, based on her previous... 40 plus years hating him and orchestrating his downfall. I mean, if she was going to soften at the fact that he had a son and wanted to take care of the son, I feel like she would have softened when she saw how pathetic he was. So yeah, I, I very well see this as being like a surprise and this is not what it looks like. And that maybe she's in league with Satan or Ramirez and she's just messing with him. I just didn't buy her suddenly showing some kind of affection to the son that she professed undying eternal hatred towards. Yes. It didn't make sense at all. Although I do agree with you, it was a different sort of scene. And like, cause she even cried and uh, I didn't get it. I was like, I don't really know if I trust you lady. Um, well, no, let me uh, scratch that statement from the record. I don't trust you lady. So I, I, I was hella confused as to uh, what was going on there, but I didn't trust it. And I was like, why are you listening to her? Like, after she unloaded on you for, you know, all that time in the cabin, like, you're going to trust that she's giving you important and vital information. And I was like, I don't know if I yeah. believe any of this. And um, although, I mean, if you really think about it, does she real well, because I'm trying to think. 
trying to get into the mind of a psychopath. Like, does she want him to die on the property? Uh, like, because she's going to have to see him all the damn time. You know what I'm saying? Like, does she really want to yeah. see him all the time? But then again, if she's psychopathic, maybe she wants to see him all the damn time so she can unload on him, like, every day. Like, that might right. help for, like, you know, the past 40 years of her having to roam by herself. She's like, oh, now I got my little, you know, my little buddy that I can bully all the damn time. Right. Uh, so I don't have to go and attack the counselors. Um, well, I almost wonder yeah. if her doing this, like maybe as the anchor of the curse, she needs to sacrifice somebody else to be part of the blood curse that has to be her blood. So I almost wondered if her foil is uh, convincing him to do this so she made a deal with Satan that she can get away. Oh, so okay. That's interesting. Well... We're going to have to wait and see. All I know is that I do not trust any of this. And um, I felt really bad for Jingles, you know, sort of that part of me that wants to protect Jingles. I was like, no, like that, you know, killing yourself is not the way to go. Uh, we haven't really learned at all about what the deal was that he made with Ramirez. So we saw a little bit of that, and we're going to talk about that element of the storyline in a moment where uh, Ramirez has to collect from someone else. But I wasn't sure exactly what happened, like when Jingles died and then he returned. Like, did he return as a human or did he return as a sort of Richard Ramirez type of, um, because I'll call Richard Ramirez more an apparition in a sense. Um, even though he is um, corporeal and that sort of thing. Um, but I guess we got the answer in this episode that he returned like as a human. He just had uh, sort of um, a debt because of um, selling his soul and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I don't know – because th- I didn't even think about the fact – I forgot about the fact that they made that deal because he had the kid, you know? Like, he grew up – well, he raised a kid, sort of, got a wife, and so he made the deal with Satan, didn't like what was happening, and then just ran off and was allowed to, like, live this little life. So I was definitely confused as to what it meant. Um, but obviously it seems like he came back as a regular human who could reproduce, so he – got a sweet deal when he turned in Ramirez. So yeah, it's, I, I guess we did find out he came back as a human. And so he was at the brink of death and Satan brought him back. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess that's interesting. Nonetheless, like it's great to see that there's, uh, there are layers, I guess, to your servitude of um, the darkness and that sort of thing. So that was interesting. I like getting information like that. So what about you? Before we I, get into, because uh, I know I was alluding to um, <laughs> the deals with the darkness and that kind of thing, and, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Before we get into that, uh, what did you think of uh, the final moments with, uh, with Benji? You know, it was interesting. I also thought he was going to jump into the water. Uh, all that, or I thought we were going to have like another Voorhees reference with, uh, the original brother, like coming out of the water because the mother kept hinting that she heard him and she thought that he was there. So I almost wondered if like her leading him there to kill himself was going to be some kind of trap and the, uh, the drowned brother a la Jason was going to come out and get him. Uh, so when it didn't happen, he just kind of stabbed himself in the gut and fell over and died super fast. I was really, really surprised, um, 
But then, yeah, it, it seems fitting. Like, this was a... He's ready to fight, and he is ready to man up and do what he thinks he needs to do. So I thought it was a fitting end for Jingles as far as his human life. And I thought that it's an interesting preamble for what's to come. But at the same time, like we were talking about, I do think that this was something his mother's not done with him yet. So I alluded to this. Let's talk about this. So while all that is going on with uh, Jingles and the Jingles family dynamic, we get a little bit of a taste as to what's going on in Camp Redwood in regards to the festival that's coming up. And uh, so apparently the camp really isn't that ready. Margaret is doing her own version of the fire festival, which is spectacular. Give them water and bread. (laughs) They should be happy with that. (laughs) And uh, Beverly Leslie, a.k.a. Courtney, is like, no, you can't do that. And while all that's going on, um, well, we get into a little bit of the whole, you know, a little bit more of the dynamic between uh, Margaret and Trevor. And Trevor ends up seeing Montana, which he's very confused by. And he, he goes and follows her. And um, and, and he's like, I, I, I thought you were dead. And... Um, she's like well i am and this is not the other and uh, they're both basically like you know when i saw you you know i knew you know i knew what i've been missing so clearly they're gonna have a moment together and um and while they're doing their thing later on that night richard ramirez returns to camp redwood and um he's there to meet up with Kaja Gugu. So earlier there was a little moment where um, Margaret and Courtney end up greeting Kaja Gugu. Uh, you know, she's like, "Oh, you know, you ready to play at the festival?" There, and um, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, we're gonna do Too Shy." And she's like, "Well, what about Neverending Story?" And she and he's like, "No, you know, because that's when I was a solo artist, the other, and whatnot and whatnot." And so we learn probably the reason why they were just gonna be playing Too Shy is because Kaja Gugu made a deal with the devil. And when he sees Richard Ramirez, Richard tells him he's a big fan. And uh, when he's like, you want an autograph? He's like, no, I already have it. You know, this is sort of the thing that happens when you sign a deal with Satan. And I am here to collect. And so the entire band gets slaughtered. Beverly Leslie walks into the damn tour bus with a gift basket. It's not just bread and water. And he finds all of the members of Kaja Gugu dead. So let's talk about this. It was It's very brief, but there are a couple of moments that I want to get your take on. In particular, the Trevor Montana reunion, as well as uh, Richard Ramirez and the Kaja Gugu of it all. Okay, the Trevor Montana reunion was just weird like i didn't know what i was missing until i saw you i mean it's just such an 80s over the top like love story type like cliche that it was cute and funny but at the same time i'm like okay so are we going to give montana a happy ending or is he about to be gutted like a fish because that's what i expected and then it was. Did, am I wrong, or did it not like suddenly pan to someone getting killed or something? I th- I thought he was about to get killed. Um, do you remember? Because I can't remember off the top of my head. Did it pan to somebody getting stabbed? I can't remember now either. But yeah, there was a moment where I felt like he might get killed, 
But then I remembered that this is sort of like the different Montana post all the killing, it seems. So then I was like, oh, I think, he, you know, she's about to get some dictation. And they're both about to have right. a happy ending. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, it was I thought he was going to like suddenly die and return as a ghost and be happy with her. And they were going to get their revengeance on Margaret, which could still very well happen. Uh, the Kaja Cuckoo was just so random. But see, now I'm I'm torn because... Are we supposed to believe that this is happening in an alternative timeline outside of our world? Because obviously all of the members of Kajagugu were not slaughtered. Are they going to come back now as ghosts based on Satan's deal and continue their limited careers? Because obviously Lamal is still alive. So it was interesting. I thought that was very funny that they did that. And I'm really I, – I was so fascinated by it, but I actually looked up last night, like, who played um, – Lamal, and it turns out it's interesting. The guy who played Lamal, an actor named Misha Crosby, who has a connection to AHS in the form of he once upon a time played in a movie called Roanoke, The Lost Colony. So it's very loose, but like it's one of those things that like you fall down the click hole looking at American Horror Story, and I thought it was fascinating. He had some kind of a connection uh, in the sense of like he's been in something involving Roanoke previously. So nice little Easter egg there, but. I thought it was hilarious that they made a deal with Satan because it makes total sense. No one else wants to hear the rest of your music because your deal was to get one big hit. You're going to play it for the rest of your lives. That's part of your contract. You know, I gave you a big hit and that's it. So, yeah, I, I was really hilarious. And I, Leslie Jordan, if I think that's his name or what the uh, Leslie Courtney. Jordan is. Yeah. yeah. But, He's yeah. hilarious. Like, what the fresh hell is this? Like, I love him every time he shows up. And I just thought it was hilarious that he popped up as well because he's kind of another alum for uh, American Horror Story. So I loved having him back, and he's perfect to play Margaret's assistant. Um, Ramirez collecting the debt, that's fascinating. Like, I'm curious how many more debts he's going to collect. I'm also really interested to see... Where is this whole Satan thing going? Because it's not been at the forefront like I thought it was going to be when they roped him in and resurrected him. You know, so are we going to connect with Apocalypse? Are we going to connect with the other series seasons with Satan and the Antichrist? Or is this, um, again, a microcosm in and of itself that's just going to have tendrils that connect but don't have solid story impact? That's what I'm really excited to see in the next two episodes is where this whole Satanic thing is going. You know, especially when Jingles' mother earlier in that episode was like, you're going up against forces you have no idea what you're dealing with. So it's really an interesting juxtaposition of these two things, these two forces, the blood curse and satanic contracts. It's it's also very 80s, and I love every every blood-soaked minute of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the Kajagugu of it all was just really just to take, like, the 80s kitsch to, like you know, a thousand degrees, but it was spectacular. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know who else they could have picked. Um, it, it was just almost like really random that it was that. Can I just tell you, mm -hmm. Debbie Gibson and Tiffany, I would have been in, in like hog heaven. That's funny. But I think because they're still big enough names now, not necessarily big names, yeah. but like you still see them around. And like, when was the last time we've seen, um, what, how do you pronounce yeah. it? Lamal. Lim yeah. Plus, Debbie Gibson and Tiffany have already had their moment in uh, Mega Python versus whatever shark thing. It was hilarious. They've already had like a cat fight together in water and everything, so it's kind of been done. Exactly. But it was still really, really good. And uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it was in the promo. We'll talk about it next week. But the phrase Kajagugu is dead. Just yeah. it's, it's spectacular. 
So let's talk about uh, our ladies. So we catch up with uh, Brooke and Donna in 1989, like right after Donna has helped Brooke escape from uh, the um, the lethal injection. And uh, we get a couple of sort of like sciency answers as to how Brooke is still alive and what Donna gave her and like the side effects that she's going to have for a couple of days as the drug sort of gets out of her system to make it look like she was brain dead. And uh, so we see Donna caring for Brooke, Brooke uh, clearly not having it. And uh, there's a moment where, um, you know, it's there's a tense moment between the ladies where basically Brooke is like, why are you doing this? And uh, Donna's like you know, I have to make things right, you know, I, I did some things, and after doing them things, like, I'm not trying to end up on the bad side of things, uh, when all this is said and done, you know, I've seen what happens to people, and I'm trying to make sure that I get, that I walk through the good door when, uh, you know, it's lights out for me, and, uh, Brooke ends up seeing uh, the newspaper with the Camp Redwood Festival, and, uh, Donna's like, you know, just ignore that. You have a second chance at life. But uh, Brooke is like, no, you know, this is the reason why I'm alive. You know, I have to watch Margaret die. So Donna tries to get Brooke to forget about it by going to a roller rink. And uh, it's a fun little light moment for both of them. But at the end of it all, Brooke is like, you know, maybe I can have a little bit of fun and that sort of thing. But my plan is still to go to Redwood. And so Donna sort of reluctantly agrees. She she, she understands her, and uh, they're about to leave, but a man named Bruce approaches them right before, and he's like, can you guys give me a ride to my girlfriend's place? My car broke down, this, that, or the other. Donna is like, no, you know, I don't deal with strangers. And so they leave. When they get to the car, the engine sputters, and there's some sort of problem. Bruce is nearby, and he's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty handy, you know, when it comes to handy, when it comes to, um, to cars. Let me check it out. He fixes it. And uh, Donna has, like, the line of the episode, you know, once a man has been under my hood, uh, you know, he's no longer a stranger. And Great. S- <laughs> and so she's like, hop on board, even though Brooke... Um, clearly is a little sketched out. There's a little pan of the camera and we see women are missing. So now we're a little sketched out. And uh, clearly, I mean, we probably should because it's because he's played by Dylan McDermott. And, you know, sometimes he plays those shifty, shady characters. So um, after he, you know, says something that freaks Brooke out, she's like, you need to leave. And, uh, and that sort of thing. Like, I'm not comfortable with you. You need to leave. And so when uh, they park by the side of the road, ask him to leave, he's like, no, you know, I, I'm not leaving you all. And, uh, the police stop by asking if everything's okay. You know, don't you know about the women that are missing, you know, on this highway and bam, the dude shoots him. They speed off and uh, he basically takes con- takes the the cop car he catches up to them crashes into them and uh, ends up um, taking the women he ties donna up um, attached to the back of uh, a pickup and uh, he when he wakes uh, brooke up he's basically like you have two choices like either you're going to drive 
and um, we're going to drag your friend to her death and he explains exactly what's going to happen in graphic detail or he's like I'm going to kill you and then I'm going to drag your friend to her death and he explains that he's trying to catch up to Richard Ramirez he's killed I believe he said he's killed five people and Richard has killed 13 and so he wants to um basically beat him by Christmas and that sort of thing. He's trying to catch up to all these serial killers and that sort of thing. And so it looks like Brooke is going to go along with it. You know, she's like, well, you know, fuck that bitch. She's not really my friend. And she revs up a little bit and she's trying to, she's taking her time. Clearly she has a plan and, um, He's like, you need to hurry up. And so instead of driving, well, she, well, I'm trying to remember. She drives forward a little bit, and but then she reverses. Or no, she completely reverses. Donna wakes up just in time to sort of like duck down. Uh, so she is, she's um, driven over, but she isn't hit by any of the wheels. Uh, the dude gets knocked. He ends up getting shot. Um, you know, it, it looks like um, they're about to kill him. Donna's ready to kill him. But she's like, no, 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 no. You know, I've got something better for him. So they end up tying him up to a post. They, um, Brooke ends up chopping off his, um, his thumb so he can't hitchhike. And uh, even after it all, she's like, you know, I know that you don't approve. So Camp Redwood, it's very close to here. I'm going to go on my way to there. And uh, Donna's like, you know what? I need to see things through to the end. So she joins her. So let's talk about this. This was its own little separate storyline. It was like a very different movie compared to everything that was going on at Camp Redwood. But it was hella good and just fantastic. It was very death-proof, as I said. Uh, so, um, so Vinny, what would you think of this storyline? Donna and Brooke, Thelma and Louise, you know, killing hitchhikers. Well, not really killing, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, th this was the Thelma Louise that I never knew that I needed. It was amazing. You know, I, I there was just, I love Brooke now. I do. I actually like her. Like, the character, it's sad that she had to go to prison to have all of this happen, but just the strength and the determination was something she was lacking before. She was a timid little mouse, and watching her cut off Dylan McDermott's thumbs was brutal like i absolutely love the fact when she's like no we can't let him get away and brooke is just like who said anything about that i was like oh oh shit what are we what, what are you about to do so i thought it was absolutely wonderful and now this brooke i am very excited to see get back to camp redwood i want a showdown between her and margaret i think it's going to be amazing and donna i'm i'm really interested to see where that goes with her she saw R Ramirez resurrected. She's scared. And I don't exactly know what role she's going to play because she's been kind of a wild card this season in the sense of, you know, I, I, I don't, we didn't, we thought she was Nurse Rita, then she wasn't Nurse Rita. She had that backstory. We thought she was bad. Then she saw what she was actually doing and now she's good. So it's really fascinating to watch this character just like it was to see Brooke get strong. I'm curious what this Donna is going to bring to the table when she has to go face up to Jingles, to Margaret, to all of that. But the two of them together, it was just literally, I felt like I was watching the Babysitter's Club on like Cinemax with like Halloween mixed in. Like the, just they, these ladies did not 
not Halloween's a bad example, but you know where I'm going. Like it, it was like a splatter house, Thelma and Louise, and they just had this awesome mechanic playing off of each other to watch these two characters that hated each other. Well, not hated Brooke hated her. And for Brooke to be able to now like start to accept her and trust her and to form this team, I think they're a dynamic duo that I'm very interested to see what happens. Exactly. It's the duo that I had never thought we needed or that we were going to get, but now I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying the fact that we have them. So yeah, like I, I, I love their chemistry together. They work really well together. Uh, they're fascinating to watch. The storyline was really interesting. I mean, I already said it, like I, it, it was giving me death proof vibes and I love death proof. It's a really, really good movie. And um, it, it was just really well done and so unique to like everything else that was going on in the episode it was hella suspenseful because i i I did wonder like were we going to lose donna like i was very worried for donna and i never thought i'd really care um you know what i'm saying (laughs) like i didn't know i was going to care for donna like at the very start of um the season like i mean i knew as rita i was enjoying her but then once like the truth came out i was like i don't know if i can really support you but the fact that she's had a bit of a of character growth throughout the past couple years and she's seen the error of her ways and she wants to help out i'm really rooting for donna now and and i hope this is american horror story so at times the characters don't get happy endings but i do hope something good happens to donna at the end of it all i guess we will have to wait and see in regards to that but the storyline was really good dylan mcdermott was a refreshing surprise um even though he he was teased in the promo, but uh, seeing him back was pretty damn awesome. Um, and I, I was very worried for Donna, though. And um, I, I will say the image of a person of color being tied behind a vehicle, it, it was very real based off of American history and that sort of thing. And I was like, damn, are they really going to go there? But the fact that uh, uh, Brooke was able to save Donna uh, was uh, was a really great moment for both of the characters. So, um, yeah. And, and everything that they did with him at the end was just pretty spectacular. Agreed. I'm also glad, I don't know if he's, well, I was about to say, I'm glad that he wasn't uh, um, modeled after someone. I don't know if he was. Um, I don't know if there is a Bruce, uh, you know, serial killer out there in the 80s in <laughs> California. But um, the fact that they didn't give him a last name and... Uh, at least I don't recognize him. I'm also not really a serial killer type of person, so I don't really know the names of all the serial killers in the world. I know that I don't think there is. Yeah. If anything, he might be Green River, because um, he targeted women. But no, I think he was actually modeled after almost like the Hitcher that movie, um, where like the husband and the wife pick up the hitchhiker and he like basically chases them down and tries to kill them. Um, but he also might have been the Green River Killer because that guy murdered a bunch of women. But I don't remember the specifics of his murders. Okay, all right. I'm just—I thought it was going to be Johnny from a side. Very surprised that it wasn't him. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. All right. So uh, that pretty much covers everything. Was there anything that I missed that you wanted to bring up before we head into the MVP? Um. Not off the top of my head. Well, Margaret, uh, I, I just wanted to say that I'm really interested to see how this festival is going to down because Margaret was very underplayed in this episode. She was not given a lot of screen time, and I think that's intentional. And I'm really interested to see what they're going to do with her because she was very much back burner. 
And obviously that, you know, usually when that happens with a major character on this show, that means they're about to be put back into the forefront in one of the later episodes. And with only two left, I'm very curious to see where this is going for her as well. Yeah, I'll co-sign that. Um, yeah, Margaret's story, I hope it ends with her death. Like, like I, I do. I, like, I really want to see her. Oh, hands down. Yeah, like, I want to see her get gutted like a fish. Like, I, I just yeah. do. So, who's going to do it? Whether it's your theory that maybe Brooke is the one that does it. I guess we're going to have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, I need to see Margaret get her comeuppance. Although I am enjoying everything Leslie Grossman is doing with Margaret. Yeah, she's oh, yeah. just a uh, fascinating creature. So uh, let's get into the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Who's your MVP? This is a really hard one this episode, but I have to go with – I mean, it's honestly, it's it's not hard because I'm just going to go with my old staple favorites, one of them. I'm going to go with Lily Rabe. You know, the, she was only in this episode, like we talked about, for a couple of minutes each scene, and she just – they pieced together everything that happened. She was the spider weaving this silken web of destruction around her son for this hatred, plus her blind hatred of everyone at the camp. And it just everything kind of came full circle. In a little bit of a way, we got some closure in the sense of finding out what is the secret of Redwood? What caused all of this? Where is this coming from? And her story and jingles just had so many references to movies and, and shows and cliches that I love about the 80s and she was the driving force in this episode the the Velma and Louise and the Dylan McDermott of it all were awesome but I kept wanting it to go back I kept finding myself wanting Lily Rabe to come back and that's like you said with a an AHS alum coming to do a guest spot just like when on Apocalypse Jessica Lang returned as Constance Langdon it's like a ripple effect. You feel that presence throughout the entire episode and even beyond. And that's what I feel like we're going to have here with Lily Rabe. Even if she's only in this episode, if she never shows up again for this season, they have the perfect reason. She appeared when she wanted to. She showed up when she wanted to. And she could disappear just like that if she wanted to. So if there's a reason she's not showing up again, oh, well, you know, Mommy Dearest decided she didn't feel like showing again. She did what she wanted, and now she's out there wandering invisible. So she's definitely my MVP because she, hands down, was the strongest in this episode, followed very closely, in my opinion, by Jingles. And I found myself just wanting more of that character. Very, very good choice. I like it. Yeah. And, uh, gosh, for me, it's a difficult choice. Lily Rabe is, was 100% up there for me as well. Uh, but since you picked her, I'm torn between two characters. Um, but, uh, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to go for the character that I really believe in the most. Sorry, Donna, even though I approve of everything you did. I'm going to go with Jingles. I, I have to, based off of everything John Carroll Lynch did uh, with the character in the episode. There are many characters that you could choose from, to be quite honest. Well, maybe not many. That would be a lot to, to say. Um, there were several characters, especially the leads in their storylines, that you could pick from. And um, I, I have to go with um, with Jingles. like Him with, uh, with Lavinia him by himself, uh, like him going through the torture and the pain of everything and his reaction to everything that is, um, that, that, that he's been through. Uh, it, it just broke my heart. And, um, yeah, I loved everything that John Carroll Lynch with, 
did with the character in this episode. He got a tragic end at the end of this episode because he's dead now. Uh, that dead doesn't mean dead on American Horror Story, so uh, clearly, based off of the promo, we will be seeing him again and that sort of thing, um, it, it's, as is expected on American Horror Story. But um, everything that happened to the character this episode just really made me sympathize uh, or empathize with him, made him very sympathetic, and um, I never thought I would have said that way back in episode one. So I will give it to Jingles. And now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 keys? The point system is allowed. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden key. And yes, you may jingle it, like Donna did when she opened the hotel room door. So, uh, Vinny, how would you rate it? I am giving this episode a 10. I, I've been holding back my 10s this entire season, but this episode had me from start to finish. The Just going back in time, seeing the origin of the curse, and it being so well done, and it calling back to Friday the 13th, one of my favorite horror series. It was just so well played, and it was I feel like it was the cornerstone of everything that we've seen so far has been built upon. But it still dangled a lot of threads with the Satanism and the contracts and all of that coming through that we still have yet to see. So we're, we got some closure in a sense of like finding out the source. So that confusion is solved, but we've got these ghosts still wandering around. The coast is the, the curse is not resolved. Now jingles is kind of being reborn as like a mighty Morphin murder ranger to go up against Ramirez next episode. I'm, I'm fascinated. And I am, this episode just totally enthralled me. I really loved it. I thought all the acting was really well done and it's a 10 for me because like I said, I never thought that I needed Donna and Brooke as, Thelma Louise. I never thought that I'd be happy to see an episode dedicated to Jingles and his development and what happened to him because I thought he was going to die early in the season and this was a really excellent chance for John Carroll Lynch who's only played Twisty and then this character and Miner's period, I think that's it actually we talked about that, to actually stand in the forefront and show, it shows that these characters or these actors that have been kind of in the past had to stand behind Sarah Paulson, Jessica Lange, Evan Peters. It's not a bad thing to let those big names step back and let someone else step forward. He held it down. So did Lily Rabe there as a support. But even though I gave her my MVP, it was very clear that there were two prominent characters in this driving force of the episode, and that was Jingles and Brooke. So very well written, very well acted. Everything was awesome. The elements of, you know humor and lightheartedness in the skating rink and with Kaja Gugu is dead. It, it was just all in all very well put together and an overall wonderful experience. I'm definitely going to watch again. I like it. And I'm going to agree with you 100%. I'm going to give it a solid 10 as well. All of the storylines were really, really interesting. The fact that, you know, we keep on referencing that it, it was almost like watching two different movies at the exact same time. The fact that they could do that, the fact that they could give us a, a major info dump of information and still make it extremely fascinating to watch. The return of Lily Rabe, um, you know, the the coupling that uh, we never thought we wanted, uh, Brooke and... Um, and, and Donna out there taking the world by the balls uh, and uh, just the emotion that was brought through the Jingles and, um, you know, Mama Jingles storyline and as well as just the information about like what the ghosts have been going through and, and the bit of uh, the character turn for them, the fact that they want to figure out exactly how to get off the land and that sort of thing made 
everything about this episode just really fascinating. Um, it was it's a very rewatchable episode. It's a very important episode for the season, based off of um, you know I, I feel like this this was the type of setup episode that really works and doesn't feel like a setup episode because this episode clearly is setting up what's going to be the final two episodes of the season and uh, I'm ready for it I'm I, you know I got my seatbelt on and I'm ready to kick things into high gear so uh, on that note join us next time for a brand new installment of Are You Afraid 1984 once again here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media we are on Facebook Instagram Twitter at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Are You Afraid? 1984 and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Farewell. I shall see you guys. Well, I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Are You Afraid? 1984 every Friday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papi Chulo Radio archives. Good night.